0: This chapter is full of high drama, isn't it? The, the shipwreck uh, and or, all the details leading up to it and then what happens once they're on the island of Malta. I have to say too, if there's a place to be shipwrecked, uh, I think the island of Malta uh, certainly wouldn't be a bad place. Well, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus preaches uh, and is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells this story tells this story of two men who were building a house and this was their dream home. And so they put a lot of effort into it. They they each made their house, built their house just how they wanted it to be. And so while there were differences in their individual houses, you know, they were essentially the same project for, for them. But there was just one major difference between these two houses. One builder had sought out some rock to build his house on. And, and it, was, it was much harder work, uh, but he wanted the security and the, the solidity of the rock as his foundation. The other, though, wasn't so fussed about where his foundation lay. So he, he built somewhere that had a great outlook. He, he built somewhere that, you know, where, where the, it was a good neighbourhood, where other people around nearby were, were good people. But where he built then just happened to be on sandy soil. And now at the time, he appreciated that because it meant he could sink his posts into the ground quite, quite easier and and do all his construction work then, then from there. So two men building their dream homes, one doing the harder work of building on the rock and one building on sand. So life was then fine and good for these two men. They, they moved in and they, they enjoyed their, their new homes. But then the storm clouds started building up on the horizon, and we've seen some of these uh, in this area over the last few days. You know the dark, low clouds that just fill the sky. They were dark and low, and they were moving towards the homes with an alarming pace. So before these men knew it, strong winds were, were rattling the windows. They, they were trying to threaten to lift the roof tiles. And the wind was finding its way into the house through any gap or crack. With the wind came the rain. You know It had blown the, the, the clouds along. And so with the rain came absolutely bucketing down. Heavy, hard and relentless. It wasn't hail, but it sounded like it. The drops were huge and heavy and just smashing the place. And with the rain coming so hard and fast, the the creeks and the rivers nearby, they they burst their banks and the ground in general just couldn't soak in the water fast enough. So it started to flood as well. The, The water levels rose at an alarming rate. Now this same storm hit both those houses. But where the house that was built on the rock stood secure and weathered the storm, the house that was built on the sand did not. The floodwaters washed away those sandy foundations. The wind knocked over the insecure walls and the rain battered down the weakened structure. For all of how good it might have looked, this man's house could not withstand the storm that came at it. Jesus then says that the man who built his house on the rock, he is like the person who builds their life on hearing and on doing God's word. Builds their life on hearing and doing what God says. The storms may come, but but this person's life will be able to continue to stand fast in the midst of it. They have peace and security and stability no matter what is raging on around them unlike the man whose house, whose life is built on the shifting sands of whatever they think, of whatever society or culture around them say. In such a storm, they are, their life is washed away. What we see in the life of the Apostle Paul as we come to Acts chapter 27 today is we see a man whose life is built on the rock. We looked a few weeks ago at how it can be hard to, to, and tricky to discern and know what God's will is. Today, what we see in effect is the peace and the confidence that comes from knowing what God's will is, knowing what God's word to us is, and to then act according to it. As we've read, and Zahara did really well, the, the chapter starts with Paul setting sail for Italy on his way to have his appeal heard by Caesar. We saw last week, if you remember, uh, over the last few weeks actually, Paul presenting his case before first Felix and then Festus and Agrippa. And each of them declaring, you know what, He's, he's innocent of anything. And we could let him go apart from the fact that he had appealed that his case be heard by Caesar himself. And so now he's on his way. They're setting sail. And all of this is the fulfillment of the word from God that Paul had received. Back in Acts chapter 23, it says that that the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said to him, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so here is Paul beginning his journey to Rome. What God says is sure and certain. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must do so in in Rome. And here is Paul on that way. Paul could act with confidence that because God had promised it, God was going to fulfill it. God said it. Paul believed it. And for him, that settled it. Paul was going to Rome. And because this was something that God had said, there was nothing that was going to get in the way of it actually happening not even a literal storm like the one Paul was about to face. So the party set sail. But from the start, the winds were against them and it was hard going the whole way. They make it to fair havens, which is a polite way of saying it's a good place to stay when the weather's fair. It's a nice haven then, but if the weather is in any way inclement, that it's it's not actually a good place to be. And so because they are nearing the end of the sailing season, because winter is approaching when when navigation is harder and the seas are much rougher and much less predictable, they needed to get to a better harbour in time for winter. And despite Paul's warning, they head off for Phoenix. And from there, actually, it literally goes south for them. We read that a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And all Paul and the rest of the people on the ship could do, all they could do would just be driven along by this wind. Their course was this way, but they were driven that way. And despite all their best efforts, there was nothing that they could do about it. You know, they, they looped ropes around the body of the ship in an effort to keep it together an effort that proved ultimately useless as the ship was battered to pieces by the surf. They lowered an anchor to to try to slow their pace and to keep them off sandbars that they knew were coming up miles and miles away. But again, this effort proved ultimately fruitless as they ran aground on an unforeseen sandbar off the coast of Malta. They threw cargo and, cat and, and tackle overboard and later the last of their food supplies in order to keep the ship, ship light and floating above the water, an effort that proved ultimately useless as the ship ultimately sank. They stopped eating in their fear and distress, in sickness and in overwhelm, an effort that proved ultimately useless because it didn't change anything. Some tried to escape by a lifeboat, an effort that proved ultimately useless, first as as their escape was prevented, but secondly, because even if they had succeeded, their chance of survival in this small little lifeboat was, was dramatically less than if they stayed with the ship. They cut loose their anchors and they set the foresail to try to navigate their way to the shore to a particular sandy beach, And again, that was an effort that proved ultimately useless as they ran aground earlier on an unseen, unforeseen obstacle. Despite all their efforts to manage the situation, none of them helped. The centurion, the owner of the ship, the captain, the sailors, the prisoners, all the other passengers on the ship, they did all that they could to try to control the situation, a situation that was wildly out of their hands. But at the end of the day, their foundation was washed out from under them and their house collapsed and all their efforts were useless. I wonder how often do we try to take matters into our own hands? How often do we try to control the outcome? Our circumstances spin out of control around us and we just want to rest back at least some sense of control. I mean, take this snap lockdown, for instance. Like the rest of you probably did, we had, we had plans. Plans that came crashing down around us at just after 11am on Thursday morning. And so I was sitting there, having barely just heard the news, and I start conco- concocting contingency plans. Well, we could do this instead or if i get the grocery shop in today i won't need to wear a mask tomorrow if we just go across to aubrey we can still have a life for you it may not be a snap lockdown but chances are that it's something it's a health diagnosis it's a relational conflict it's a it's a work situation And as it spins wildly out of control, you are just trying to make plan after plan to manage the situation as best you can, to bring control back into your life of it. But I suspect that for you, as for me, the reality is that I was just like the sailors and everyone else on that storm-tossed ship. And my efforts, my plans didn't do anything to help. What about Paul in this situation? He was facing the exact same storm. He was in the exact same situation. But unlike the others, he did not try to exert control over the situation. And unlike the others, his foundations remained firm. How is it that he could face the storm in such a manner? Well, he explains it starting in verse 21. Acts 21, uh, 27, rather, verse 21, it says, After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up among, before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice to not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. You should have not tried to take things into your own hands, to try to manage a situation that was ultimately out of your control because it's not worked out for you. But now, Yeah, let's leave that aside. Now, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Do you notice the the source of Paul's confidence in these words? It's not his circumstances. It's not the outcomes of those circumstances. I mean, they still run ashore uh, and, and run aground and are shipwrecked. It's not just positive, optimistic thinking trying to put a good spin on things. The source of Paul's confidence is in God's word to him. Paul's life is built on the certainty and the security. Uh, It's built on the rock of God's word. It will happen just as God told me, he says. God had told Paul repeatedly that he would get to Rome. So what's a little storm or even what's a big storm on the way going to do against that? Is it going to nullify God's word? Is it going to throw God's plans into a spin? No, not at all. God's word is the solid rock in the storm. His word is the sure and secure anchor in the midst of the raging seas. It's it's the immovable object in the face of an opposing force. So Paul could face the storm because he trusted in God's word. And as we will see next week, he makes it to Rome just as God said he would. So I wonder then, what does, what might God speak to us in the storm that we might be in? Now we might not have an angel stand by our bedside and speak to us like Paul did. But we do still have his word, pages and pages of it. We do still have his word in which God reveals himself to us and through which he speaks to us. So what? Might God be saying to us today that He is good, that He is with us, that He's powerful, that He will not leave us, but He will see us all the way through? He might be saying to us that this world is not our home, that we can trust Him, that He loves us that he loves you with an everlasting love that nothing can overcome. He might be saying that we are his child, that he is the one who will renew our strength. He might be reminding us, telling us that he's our refuge, our hope, our strong tower. No storm in our world changes these realities God's word is sure it's the rock on which we can stand and trusting in God's word with our lives not just knowing it in our heads but trusting it with our lives mean that we can face the storm we might let's be honest we might still take a battering along the way undeniably but the house of our lives built on the rock of God's word will continue to stand now, I realise that this is all easily said, but we can still be thrown off. Like I said earlier, the, the announcement of a snap lockdown, you know, threw me into a significant slump. And, and ironically, I was working on this very sermon about finding our hope and our security in, in God, not in what's going on around us. So practically then, how, how do we face the storm like Paul? How do we find our security and our confidence and peace in God and in His Word? How do we practically do that? Well, I think the answer, the answer is as simple as getting to know Jesus better. Now, that sounds like such a Sunday school answer, but I think that it is still profoundly true nonetheless. Jesus is the capital W word of God. And as we know him, we can face any storm that comes. We started with a story told by Jesus. Let's let's end with one that features him. You know Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell this story in their gospel accounts. It's the story of Jesus and his disciples deciding to sail across to the other side of the lake. And as they went However, a serious storm came up on the lake. The waves rose and they were crashing over the sides of the boat. So then the boat itself was filling with water. As more and more waves swept over the boat, they were in increasing danger of sinking. And as the disciples thought, increasing danger of drowning. And in the midst of this storm, where's Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat, his head on a cushion. And the, so the disciples wake him asking, don't you care if we drown? I don't know what they would have thought that waking Jesus would do to help them in that situation. Maybe he'd, he'd just help bail the water out. Maybe he'd be an extra hand that, that would just help them somehow to stay afloat. Maybe, maybe at least him being awake and doing something They they could then feel like, okay, we at least tried all that we could to save ourselves. We we don't know what they were thinking exactly when they woke Jesus. But then we read in Luke chapter 8 of what Jesus did do when he was awoken. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Don't miss what's going on here in this story. Jesus was asleep in the boat because he knew that a storm, no matter how severe it was, a storm would not overcome God's purposes for his life. What's a little bit of water going to do against the will of God? Not only that, though, he then has the power and the authority to calm that storm. He's Lord over it all. He speaks and creation obeys. He's sovereignly powerful over it all. And so he asked them, where is your faith? Now, in fairness to the disciples, this is early on in their following after Jesus. But as time goes by, he will prove himself to them to be God, to be the Messiah, to be the saviour of the world. So Jesus would say to us, who then have the full revelation of who Jesus is, where is your faith? For the disciples, it was in their effort as sailors to to try to survive the storm, to bail the water, to navigate the right path or, or whatever it was. That's where their faith lay. And it was stripped out from under them by the storm. What about for us? Jesus would say to us, where is your faith? If Jesus is who he says he is, then through faith in him, like Paul, we can face the storm with faith, with peace, with confidence, with surety, That no matter what happens, it will be okay. He will see us through no matter what it looks like. So how do we get that confidence to face the storm? By getting to know Jesus better. By getting to know who he is, what he has done, what he is capable of doing, what he has done, is doing and will do into the future as we know Jesus more, as we trust Him more, we will hear His word, obey His word, and stand firm on the rock, in the storm, whatever comes. So let's pray that we would be able to do that just as Paul did, just as Jesus invited the the disciples to do so as well. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for your word today a word that though written so long ago yet still speaks to us today it's a word that is living and fresh a word that is inviting us to trust in you and to know that with our faith in you that whatever we face we can know that it is well we can have surety peace confidence and so God, I pray for those who are in the storm at the moment and who are struggling. The waves are battering them. They are trying all that they can just to see their way through. And their efforts are failing. And as the sand washes away from under the, their feet, God, I pray that they might find underneath that sand the bedrock of Christ. I pray that they may look to Him, to know Him, to trust in Him and that in doing so, that they will find the confidence to stand. See them through, God, we ask, in your love and in your grace. And help each of us, God, whatever we face now in this moment or into the future. Help us to know Jesus more, to trust Him more, to build our lives on Him. See us through the storms, we ask, we pray.